3. Improving health through clinical excellence and compassion. Every patient, every time. It's time for Guthrie Radio. Here's Bill Klaproth. Most people have experienced back pain sometime in their lives. For some, it's a minor nuisance. For others, it can be debilitating. When physical therapy and medication fail, some are turning to minimally invasive spinal surgery. And with us today is Dr. Matthew Quigley. He is the chief of neurosciences and neurosurgery at Guthrie. Dr. Quigley, thanks for being on with us. Guthrie is currently building a new neurosurgery and neurology program, which is led by yourself. Maybe you could start off by telling us a little bit about that. Well, the uh, neurosciences composes neurosurgery and neurology, and really it has to do with the medical and surgical treatment of diseases that afflict the brain, the spine, and the uh, peripheral nerves. So right now we're trying to uh, shore up and expand both the surgical as well as medical capabilities in terms of what type of problems that we can uh, handle uh, here at Guthrie. So this will certainly help expand uh, your treatment of those type of diseases and uh, help with those different procedures and treatment that you do. Right, and it'll also make things a lot easier for people living in this area because otherwise it will be a two-hour car drive. Let's talk a little bit about back pain now and minimally invasive surgery. So like I said, back pain for some is a nuisance. A lot of people get it. For some, it can completely ruin their quality of life. When is it time to consider minimally invasive surgery? Well, the uh, the distinction uh, as to when something goes from, say, conservative treatment to surgery is really a function of a couple of things. One is uh, the severity of the difficulty, uh, both in terms of the amount of pain, that is how disabling it is, as well as the distribution of pain. As it turns out, most of the things that we treat and treat successfully are associated in large part with uh, pain radiating into either the back or in the cervical spine into the arms. Pain which is restricted entirely to the midline, if it's degenerative in nature, that is not associated with a tumor or a fracture or some other thing, is uh, very resistant to any type of surgical treatment. And we try very hard not to uh, not to go down that route when somebody has simply uh, axial pain. The other thing that decides whether somebody needs surgery or not is their neurologic presentation. Most of the people we see in the office are have normal neurologic examinations, but sometimes they don't. Sometimes they have weakness, especially of the what we term the foot extensors, so that is uh, they have a dropped foot, uh, or in the extreme cases may have difficulty in terms of uh, control of bladder function. And these wind up being essentially neurologic emergencies. So when you see those, does that signal to you, okay, this is, this is a candidate for surgery? Certainly anyone who has a serious neurologic problem due to uh, degenerative disease, that is usually disc disease, they're going to go to surgery usually pretty rapidly. But that is the um, very small percentage of the type of patients that we see. Most of the patients that we see have had uh, back and leg symptoms, usually for a few months of duration. And it, they may have very minor neurologic findings or, or none at all. So the first line of treatment is going to be, as described in terms of therapy, injections, giving things time. In reality, the majority 
that is more than 50% of these things will go will take care of themselves on their own. So we want to give uh, nature enough time uh, to take care of these things if they're going to take care of themselves. After three months or so, uh, it tends to be a persistent problem, and that's when we start thinking about doing surgery. And how does minimally invasive surgery differ than traditional surgery? I mean, it sounds like it's right. less invasive, but can you go a little deeper sure. on that? So uh, traditional surgery involves making a midline incision, which strips the muscles away from the bones. And it turns out that this is a very important distinction from what uh, we do with minimally invasive, which is to make a... Um, a skin incision in a transverse way that is perpendicular to the long axis of the spine. And then we use a series of dilators, not to cut the muscle away from the bone, but actually just to create a space. The important distinction here is that when you pull that dilator out, all the muscles come back into place. And this uh, eliminates what we term uh, dead space that's created with traditional surgery. When you do traditional surgery, you create a space underneath the incision that basically fills up with fluid, and that fluid is basically a uh, nice broth for all sorts of organisms and things to grow in. Whereas with the minimally invasive technique, there is no, there's virtually no dead space. So right away, what we can see is a big decline in wound infections. And wound infections complicate anywhere upwards of three to five percent of traditional surgeries. With the minimally invasive technique, it's less than 1% of the time. So, so we don't want the broth, right? We don't, we don't want, want the broth. The, broth. the problem don't, is... Don't give me nice, that broth. It's a warm, nutrient-rich, dark place for the bugs to grow. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want that. So the minimally invasive surgery kind of takes care of that. You're not creating that pocket of broth, right. if you will. The other, the other thing that we're able to do is to do procedures through a much smaller incision uh, which, again, is just a lot easier to heal up for the patient. So a typical two-level or, uh, or three-level laminectomy that, say, an elderly patient would uh, be offered, which is an L3 through 5 laminectomy, involves a, um, an incision on the back, which is easily six to eight inches in length, whereas our incision for the minimally invasive technique is about an inch and a quarter or so. Now, would this be considered safer then than traditional surgery too? Well, it's safer in the sense that it translates into a much lower infection rate. And infections are the most common complication we run into. And they can range from being, you know, annoying, something that can be treated with, um, with oral antibiotics, all the way to the life-threatening if you wind up with a, a methicillin-resistant staph infection. And that staph infection can then become systemic and people can be seriously harmed from these things. So again, that's the road you don't want to go down if you don't have to. This isn't outpatient surgery, right? There's still a hospital stay? Well, the Medicare considers it outpatient because you don't spend two nights. So you only spend one night. But uh, generally, uh, what we do is plan for the for the patient to spend one night because they have to emerge from the anesthesia. And if they and if it's not a first case, then generally, you know, it's four or five in the afternoon when they're waking up and, you know, no one wants to take somebody home at that point. But we've certainly had patients who, you know, we operated on first thing in the morning and then by the afternoon they're like, doc, I want to go home. It's fine. <laughs> they can go home. Right. Uh, we don't, you know, we're not holding anybody here, but generally 
in order to get over the anesthetic and, you know, some of the pain management initially right away, it's just easier to keep folks in overnight in our observation unit. Even though this is, sounds safer, are there still different risks associated with this? Well, all spine surgery carries with it some very distant possibility of uh, very bad things happening, damages, uh, damage to the nerves, damage to the nerves that go to your bladder, uh, all sorts of possible um, downside. But the likelihood of any of these things happening are tiny fractions of 1%, you know, one in a couple of thousand. And, and frankly, it's a function of uh, the experience of your operator. And I've literally done thousands of these procedures. And then what is the recovery period like with minimally invasive surgery? Well, it's a little bit easier than for the other type of surgery, but not dramatically so. You're still going to be sore and tired for a week to two following the procedure. I generally limit people not to drive for, you know, 10 days to two weeks, although people violate those rules all the time. Uh, and by a month, folks are 90, 95% back to normal. So this sounds like much better than traditional long incision surgery that you talked about. Why would anybody ever get the, the, the traditional surgery? Why wouldn't everybody just get minimally invasive surgery? Uh, the, the, the honest answer is that most surgeons out in the community have not been trained to do it this way. They learned how to do it open and really don't want to go through the, the learning process to do it through a series of dilators. It turns out that even though the anatomy is basically the same, it's very disorienting to a surgeon uh, to look at the same anatomy through a very long, thin tube. Uh, it's easy to get lost. It's easy not to know your landmarks. So for a lot of surgeons, it's, it's just a kind of a considerable learning curve that they don't wish to go through. So it seems a pretty easy question to answer why someone would choose Guthrie for their back care needs then. Well, I think it's, um, you know, it's twofold. One is certainly we have the capabilities as far as, uh, as far as the minimally invasive approach. But the other part of it is that you have surgeons who demonstrate uh, a lot of judgment and sensibility in terms of who needs an operation. So, you know, it's not a clinic that goes by that somebody doesn't come into my office and say, oh, Dr. So-and-so from elsewhere said I needed an operation. And I look at them and say, well, we can do some therapy first. We can wait. A lot of these get better on their own. There's no emergency. You know, if you can bear the pain for a month or so, we'll see how things go. And that's, you know, the type of um, approach that we try to take. It sounds like a good approach. Dr. Quigley, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. And for more information, you can visit Guthrie.org. That's Guthrie.org. I'm Bill Klaproth, and this is Guthrie Radio. Thanks for listening.